You're listening to the Heart and Hustle Podcast. We're your hosts, Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman. Let me guess. You started your business to make money doing something you love, to have financial freedom, and to finally have peace in your life. But then you started your business and discovered that financial freedom and peace were the farthest things from happening as you worked, hustled, and tried to tame that beast that your business became. Because listen, you got into business to be profitable, right? And yet so often as entrepreneurs, we pay ourselves last with whatever leftover money we have, if there's any. Well, my friend, today's guest is about to blow your mind in the best way possible and teach you how to be profitable in your business starting now. We're both fangirling a little bit too much because we had the honor of chatting with the brilliant Mike Michalowicz. Mike has quite the story building and selling multiple multi-million dollar companies before he was 35 and then losing all of it. That, my friend, led Mike to where he is today. Mike is the creator of Profit First, which is used by hundreds of thousands of companies across the globe to drive profit. He is the creator of Clockwork, a powerful method to make any business run on automatic. And his latest and arguably most impactful discovery is Fix This Next. In Fix This Next, Mike details the strategy businesses can use to determine what to do, in what order, to ensure healthy, fast, and permanent growth, and to avoid debilitating distractions. Today, Mike leads two new multi-million dollar ventures as he tests his latest business research for his books. He is a former small business columnist for The Wall Street Journal and business makeover specialist on MSNBC. Mike is a popular main stage keynote speaker on innovative entrepreneurial topics, and he's the author of Fix This Next, Clockwork, Profit First, Surge, The Pumpkin Plan, and The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. We've both read several of his books and consider them staples for every entrepreneur. And we are beyond excited, like nerding out excited to have him on the show today. So I will stop talking so Mike can drop his fire. Let's go. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast with Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman, two photographers turned entrepreneurs and founders of the Heart University. If you're a creative entrepreneur or a motivated dreamer wanting to make the most of your life, this podcast is for you. Each week, Evie and Lindsay bring you actionable tools to uplevel your business and life. So if you're ready to step up to the plate and pursue your God-given potential, you're in the right place. You're ready to live your life and run your business to its fullest? Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. Mike, welcome to the Heart and Hustle podcast. We are beyond excited to have you as our guest today. Well, it's a joy to be here, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. And hi, Evie. Hi. <laughs> I'm trying not to fangirl on the episode, so yeah. don't mind me throughout this entire time. <laughs> we we are obsessed with your books, and you just Love are it. such a brilliant business mind, and so we are really excited to talk to you today. Well, um, that means so the I guess, to me. Thanks. Yeah. Well, so Mike, you have built multi-million, multi, I guess, multi-million dollar companies. You're a speaker, a best-selling author, and just so incredibly smart. We would love to hear your story and how you got to where you are today. Tell us, tell the listeners all about you. All right. So uh, I'll get right to the meat of it. I, I drank my way into entrepreneurship. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is not a tip, by the way. 
I, I remember <laughs> I, I graduated college. I never, never aspired to be an entrepreneur. I, I didn't have like the entrepreneurial journey when I was a kid, any of that stuff. I, I wasn't like, you know, like collecting newspapers and, and having friends distribute them. Like you hear some of those stories, but I, I thought I'd get a job after college. And, um, I did, it just, it sucked. I worked at a computer store. I was the kid that was selling you like a printer. If you would like a dot matrix printer back then, if you would buy a computer and one night I went out, uh, for drinks with another guy at the, at the store. And we were just like lamenting the boss, how the boss sat in the back of the shop, smoking cigars, counting money. And I'm like, I work my ass off for this guy. And what do I get? Like I'm carrying this place and I get nothing. And you know, if, uh, a few cold pops in you and you're like, Oh, I could do this myself. And a few more, you know, with a slurry voice, like, I gotta do it myself. <laughs> F him. And I, uh, I, uh, I left this like nasty voicemail of how I'm starting my own business. So I, I burned my bridges. I started my business the next day, hungover, clueless. And I came to realize that no, a business owner doesn't sit there counting money and smoking cigars or whatever their uh, vice is. It's a lot of work. And so it was done trial by fire. Um, but just to round out my story, I got married, had my son very early. I was 20 when my son was born and I have two more kids and, and so I told my wife, I'm like, we, um, we're going to be rich. I'm starting a business. This is how we're going to make it. And, uh, it was, it was hand to mouth. It was, you know, peanut butter jelly sandwiches and, uh, lots of ramen's noodles. But over the years I started to get a hang for it. I started to actually fall in love with the process and, um, it hasn't been always smooth going, but I have sold a couple companies. Um, I've, I run now a couple more and I, um, I'm also or predominantly, I should say, a full-time author. I, I love the entrepreneur's journey and just feel so compelled to help entrepreneurs be successful and make their you know their vision come true. Oh, <sighs> I love that. And you can tell with everything that you write and everything that you do that that's your motivation and that's a passion of yours because it comes through in all of your writing. So thank you for lending your expertise and your experience to those of us starting in the entrepreneur world and needing some help and guidance. So with that, I appreciate (laughs) it. It means the world to me. I I did this thing called the five love languages where it evaluates how you, um, your preferred communication and how you receive and give appreciation or affection for someone. And mine was words of, uh, words of affirmation. Affirmation. Yeah. Affirmation. Yeah. Yeah. The word. Yeah, exactly. Affirmation. So to hear that like lights me up and, Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, your comments and whenever I receive comments like that, it's like, okay, that just fuels me. And so right now I feel like I have to run and start writing. Like I got to hang up now <laughs> and start writing. I got to do another book. You're like, oh all right, gosh. we're done with this podcast. Yeah, this on here, cool. ladies. Enjoy all like three minutes of this. I'm out. <laughs> Thanks for the kind words. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, well, that's I mean, our goal. Then. By yeah. the time this interview is done, we just want to fuel you to go straight into writing. You got writing. it. You got yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, let's talk about your book, Profit First, and the concept mm. behind it. So we've both read it. We love it. It's absolutely phenomenal. We recommend it to so many of our business coaching students and all of our friends. So talk to us a little bit about what your motivation behind writing that book was and a little bit about just your story with that book. Sure. Sure. Um, maybe I'll start with the story. So I... I uh, I sold my second company um, to a Fortune 500. I was in computer crime investigation. 
And um, my company was one of the lead investigators in the Enron trial, just to give you a perspective. Not wow. not uh, prosecution. We were defense investigators because prosecution was like the CIA and the FBI. That's who we were going against. And um, it really put my business on the map, sold it for millions, and um, became a self-made millionaire in my early 30s. And I'm like, I got this all figured out. And was didn't realize how much arrogance uh, I had. And uh, also, I decided to start a new business as an angel investor, a space I've never had experience in and uh, had no right to be in that space, but I did it anyway. And uh, I learned there's a word, when you have tons of arrogance and ignorance, like not knowing what you're doing, I looked up in Webster's Dictionary, what's the word? I found it. It's a dick. Uh, <laughs> I, I become a dick. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm so embarrassed about that phase of my life, but just I thought it was so great. And uh, I wiped out all my money, you know, making it rain cash. Mm. And uh, just, it was a failed venture. So I um, I started again anew with, with nothing. And I actually had to come home. This was like the turning moment for me. I came home to my wife and my, my three kids and I had to tell them we were going to lose our house. We lost it 30 days later, actually, and lose our possessions, our cars and stuff. And, and uh, I had to tell my daughter, she was nine years old at the time. Uh, I, she liked to go horseback riding. And I told her I can't afford the $20 group session anymore. Um, you have to stop. And uh, as I said that, she stood up and she ran away from the table. It was, I was crying. She was crying. And that was when I, um, I, I, I felt, I get it. Like I wanted to run away too. But the thing was, she wasn't running away. She ran to her bedroom to grab her piggy bank and she came running back, running back to me. And she goes, "Daddy, Daddy." She goes, "Since you can't support our family anymore, I will." Aww. And um, yeah, if I think about it, I'll start crying. So I got to like race on through this. <laughs> but I, um, but it woke me up to the I think the core struggle that we all face in in our entrepreneurial endeavors. So I assume Evie, uh, Lindsay, the entrepreneurs listening in have experienced this. Is that? Mm-hmm. You and I, we've started our businesses in part for financial freedom because we're providers like, you know, for our family, ourselves, our community, our, you know, our our world. And that's why we started our business. Yet so few entrepreneurs have uh, any financial success. In fact, there was a study uh, that the uh, U.S. Bank did and they identified that 83% of small businesses are uh, cash starved. They're, they're surviving check by check. They'll never be profitable. Um, wow. Therefore, I, I thought there was something wrong with us. Like, how come we're all going into this for this one or two reasons? Usually financial freedom and also personal freedom. We're all going into this for those reasons. How come we don't achieve the reasons we, we went in for this? And we don't make money and we, we work our asses off. Yeah. So, so I started studying and I found there's a foundational flaw with uh, the formula of profit. And it, the ultimate sin is it's taught in every accounting book. It's in um, it's in the common vernacular entrepreneurs use. We're told that sales minus expenses equals profit. In other words, profit comes last. And while it makes logical sense, behaviorally, it's the worst thing. Because when we put profit last or anything last, it means it's insignificant. Like mm-hmm. if you're... Like your best friend, I surely suspect you don't say, oh, I put my best friend last... No, you put your best friend first. If you have a health scare, you don't say, I'm going to start putting my health last. No, you say, I'm going to start putting my health first. Well, the vernacular that we use too, we call profit the bottom line or year end. So in practice, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs don't look at their 
profits or consider it for the until the end of the month or quarter, but most of them not till the end of the year when tax time comes. And it's not there, and you're like, ah, oh, damn it, maybe next year. That's the problem. So what I teach them profit first is to flip the formula. It's sales minus profit equals expenses. Take your profit first every time there's a deposit. That's that's how you execute on it. I love this. Um, when when I read the book, one, you're just as funny in real life as you are when I'm re- reading it. So I appreciate <laughs> that's it. awesome. Thanks. You now um, you made you made my day. <laughs> but I. I loved the concept behind it just because you're so right. People get into business to have financial freedom, to have a life that they love. And so often they end up working for their business in almost like they're a slave to the monster in the business. And I know in the book you relate it to Frankenstein, um, which is great. But I I think just everyone needs this book. And so could you – I guess kind of break down, obviously we only have like under an hour, but just break down a little bit of the concept behind what you mean when you say profit first and just walk us through that approach. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what I mean by profit first is, uh, well, first we understand a foundational um, kind of behavior that most entrepreneurs have, at least in the research I did, is our, my accountant, perhaps yours too, tells me, Mike, don't re- don't look at your bank balance because it doesn't reflect where your business is. You have to look at your income statement and balance sheet and cash flow statement minimally and tie those in together. And uh, honestly, I don't do that. I, I do look at my bank balance because it's real easy. I can mm-hmm. hop in on my phone or on the computer, see where I am at any given time, and I have a real simple system. If I have money, I can spend it. Uh, and if I don't, you know, panic ensues. <laughs> and th- that's that's how I run my business. And uh, do you all do that too? Do you look at your bank balances? I'm curious. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So but we also good. I have the profit first system implemented Love after it. reading right. your book. So. <laughs> Love it. So the fact you look at your bank balances means you, you two are both humans. <laughs> it's normal, and right. that's how most entrepreneurs behave. Um, it, what I found it is far easier to channel a established habit to achieve the outcomes you want as opposed to change habits. Mm -hmm. So instead of changing ourselves, can we channel ourselves? Here's what I found with exercise, and I translated it to profit first. But I um, I work out, religiously is a strong word, but I work out at least five times a week consistently. But I didn't before. I wanted to, and I, I I didn't know how to get there. Because what I do is I wake up in the morning and say, this is the best time to work out. And I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll make a cup of coffee first and kind of get the energy flowing and then forget I'm done. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what I did is I realized my ha- established habit was to, when I wake up, go to the bathroom first. So I put my gym sneakers uh, on top of my toilet seat. So the only way I can use the bathroom is by grabbing a pair of gym sneakers now. I have to hold them. And the second I'm holding them, I'm like, oh, just put them on your feet. And that changed everything because it worked with what I was already doing. Well, with Profit First, um, instead of denying ourselves logging to our bank accounts, my question was, how do we make that the best asset we have? And how we do in practice is real simple. What you do with Profit First is you set multiple accounts at your bank. Now, I suggest in the book five, what I call the five foundational accounts. And I'll just go through them real quick. One's called income. Income functions as a uh, serving tray, kind of like if you're going to have dinner and you have guests over, uh, which isn't really happening in the pandemic. But if, if you could, <laughs> um, you, know, you, put a, you put a plate out of whatever it is. It's on a serving tray. You don't tell your guests, hey, everyone, uh, grab your f- knife and fork, fight for it, everyone for themselves. Eat off this one plate. 
everyone has a plate to eat off themselves. And what you do with the serving tray is you use it simply to serve. Well, our business, when it collects money, that money is intended to feed, if you will, the entire business. So the money comes in on that serving tray. It's the income account. We then carve it up into different accounts. One account's called profit. Profit is a reward for being a shareholder. So the, the fact that you both have started your own business, you've done, which I think less than uh, 7% of the world population will ever do. You've taken on extraordinary risk to start a business. You are providing for yourselves, your family, your community. If you have employees and you start providing for them, you know we're doing extraordinary things. The profit account is a reward for you for taking on that risk. It's, this is not your compensation. This is, I mean, it comes across as compensation. It's a distribution, but it's a bonus, a thank you that lives on forever. The next account is called owner's compensation. And th- this money is used to pay you a salary. If you had to replace yourself and get someone that works just as effectively, as hard as you, and uh, knows what you know, what would you pay them? And it's, it's probably a you know, pretty serious salary. That's why so many owners, operators, deserve to be paid more than they get paid. But, you know, we, we deserve a substantial salary because of what we do. Then the next account is called tax. Tax is used to pay your taxes. And regardless of your formation of your business, your business can pay your taxes. Ironically, the biggest bill associated with the operations of a business that we are least prepared for is our taxes. And so many business owners start their business with the intention of financial freedom, yet they don't prepare for the biggest bill that's coming. So your yep. business can pay that. And then the last bill, or the last account, I should say, is OPEX. And that's for the operations of the business. So, so just real quick recap. Say $1,000 gets deposited today. Based upon percentages, we're going to allocate money into different accounts. Maybe 10% goes into your profit accounts. Now you have $100 there. Maybe you pay yourself 30% of that money to pay your salary. So that's $300 there. Maybe another $200 goes into tax reserves. So now we've already accounted for, if I did the math right, 600 bucks. That means there's $400 left in the OPEX account. And this brings brutal clarity to people because many people see a $1,000 deposit and they're like, oh, I got $1,000 to spend. Oh, I can do a thousand. They, they, they use that money in their head multiple times over. I could use it here or there and they keep on spending it. But once this money is first allocated to the proper account, you, you the money's allocated before you spend it. Now you know it's intended use before you spend it. And you start working with much better parameters of how to operate your business. You, you actually realize you don't have $1,000. I got $400 to make this business run. Hmm. Oh, that's so good. I think money, I'm sure you experience this or know this, Mike, but I feel like money is just such a touchy subject for entrepreneurs. It's either scary or it's all they think about. And I think just breaking it down so simply into this simple approach of here's how you can actually, I believe the phrasing that you use in your book is like have an overview or like your, your fingers on the heartbeat of your business, but like understanding what's going on in your company and not just bringing in a thousand bucks and being like, oh, I can use this for whatever I want, but intentional, strategic, thoughtful process of here's where it needs to go. And here's what I have left for expenses. And here's what I'm getting paid. And to actually make sure you're being compensated for the work that you're putting into your company. Uh, I just yeah. get so excited about this whole I like, love conversation. Because the funny thing yes. is so, so many people, Evie, think that, um, that they're bad with numbers and mm-hmm. therefore they go into avoidance. And that, that, that's the worst thing you can do. The, the, what I found is actually most entrepreneurs are really 
good with money when it's played by their rules, which is quick decision making um, and uh, that those type of elements. What, pe- what entrepreneurs generally aren't good with isn't the numbers. It's just going into uh, maniacal detail. That mm-hmm. is where they, they get trapped. So this system, it's a, it's a cash management system. It's not an accounting system. Some people confuse that. It's a simple cash management system. It allows you at a flash to, to identify what money is available for a purpose, and you start working within those parameters. And uh, then the accounting, when it comes to those accounting components, that's where your bookkeeper or accountant can give you the specific information you need. So profit first won't allow you necessarily to do an analysis on job costing. Like, you know, these jobs, we make money. These jobs, we lose money. Profit first is never intended for that. It simply ensures that you're always taking your cash profit first and reserving it, and you're reverse engineering everything else. And then when you need to go in the detail, which is actually very infrequently, but when you do, that's when you do the traditional accounting. So it just mm-hmm. it's like going to the bathroom putting gym shoes on now. It's just you log into your bank account and, and you're cash managing appropriately. Yeah, I think that's what I love most about it is that like at any point you can log into your bank and be like, look at your uh, OPEX account and be like, oh, okay, that's how much I have to spend. And by doing that, yes, you're decreasing the amount of money that you can operate the business on. But again, you're like putting profit first and you're being smart about it. And I, I just, I think it's really smart. <laughs> yeah. It, well, yeah. Cause it, cause it allows us to your point. You can log in anytime. In fact, I argue you want to log in more often than ever. Mm-hmm. It's funny cause it's the opposite of what we've been told. Like at least what I've been told my accountant's always like never log into your bank account. That's the worst thing to look at. Always use the accounting system. Honestly, I never log into my accounting system. My cash flow statement, don't know how to read it. Don't care. I really don't. <laughs> uh, my P and L, I fake that I know how to read a P and L, but I question if I even know that. And, but, but at the end of the year, when we have to go into some details, that's when my accountant comes and they sit me down and they, we walk through it and it's fine. Um, or if I'm struggling, cause prop first becomes an early indicator. Sometimes, uh, I see my, the funds in my OPEX account slowly dwindling and becoming less and less. That's a red flag to me. Um, and then I call my account and say, what's going on? Other times I see, uh, my, my profit account. The, the usual contribution is X number of dollars. And the last few weeks, it's been less than the regular contribution into it. I ask them what's going on. And that's when we start the investigation of what the cause is. So uh, what I say is profit first kind of speaks to us just by doing what you always do, actually logging even more frequently now so you can see what's going on and you'll start managing your business, at least the cash component much more effectively. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And I think so many entrepreneurs are just genuinely intimidated by money. Yeah. And so they they don't want to have any sort of hands on it, even though that's honestly probably why they're running their own business or started the entrepreneurial journey. But yet finances seems to scare a lot of people. Um, so having just a simple game plan of here's how to get an overview of your finances and your business and the health of what you're doing and how it's working and prepare for taxes and actually pay yourself. And I love it. Does Instagram scare the heck out of you? Feeling like you're always struggling to save time on the good old gram while also creating flawless branded professional content for it? We feel you. We have made a special little something just for you. We created a PDF with our top five apps we use in conjunction with Instagram to create smooth, professional content while saving us time and energy. This is a list compiled after years of using Instagram and searching for all the secret pro tools to make our jobs easier. If you've ever wondered, how the heck did she do this? Or how did she make that? 
it's probably answered by one of these apps. There are little secret sauce to spicing up your Instagram. We use these apps daily and they've absolutely changed the game for us. So if you're ready to uplevel your Instagram and create pro content with just a few clicks, we got you. Head on over to www.theheartuniversity.com slash apps and let's uplevel that Instagame. That's A-P-P-S, y'all. Hey, Heart Fam, we had to interrupt this episode real quick to share with you something that's revolutionized our workflow. Everyone always asks Evie and I what the number one investment is that we've made in our businesses. Without a doubt, the best investment we've ever made to get our life and time back is HoneyBook, a client relations management software. We both use HoneyBook every single day and legit could not live without it. It's an all-in-one project management tool that's designed specifically for creative entrepreneurs. I honestly don't know what I would do without HoneyBook. It streamlines everything. Email conversations, client workflow, contracts, invoicing, calendar integration. HoneyBook literally coordinates everything for my business. They thought of everything that a creative entrepreneur could need and combined it all in one place. From templates, brand customization, an app so that you can send invoices while you're on the go, all the way to the little ka-ching sound your phone makes every time you get paid, aka my favorite part, (laughs) HoneyBook gives you the ability to streamline an excellent client experience from your fingertips so you no longer have to spend 24-7 working in your business and you can finally get back to living your life instead. Guys, we know you're going to love HoneyBook just as much as we do. In addition to a free seven-day trial, we have an exclusive offer just for our podcast listeners. 50% off your first year of HoneyBook. Guys, that's a $200 value. All you have to do is go to share.honeybook.com slash heart and claim your discount. That's share.honeybook.com slash heart. Or you can check out the link in our show notes. With that mindset, can we talk a little bit, Mike, about poverty mindset and why you might think that it seems like the majority of entrepreneurs struggle with poverty mindset. Do you have thoughts on that? Do you want to talk about that? Oh, totally. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, so many entrepreneurs are in this mindset of serving the community while not serving themselves. And if I start soapboxing here, because this, this gets me so jacked up. Do uh, it. Yeah, get ready. Get ready. <laughs> Put some seatbelts on. We're in for a ride. <laughs> so um, here's what, what I get jacked up about is, is uh, the, the day before an entrepreneur starts their business is usually, sadly, the greatest day of an entrepreneur's life. Because that day before, it's like, oh my God, I'm going to change the world. You know, they, the world won't see what's coming. It's going to be amazing. This product's going to be so fantastic. And then, you know, the day we start the business, the oh shit moment. It's like, oh my God, now how am I going to make money? But we, we stay stuck in this serve the world mentality. And actually, you know, recording this during this pandemic, sadly, in my own neighborhood, there's been businesses that have gone out of business because they went to be of service to their clients, but they ignored profit. They, they wanted to serve the community even more now. And they went out of business within just a couple of weeks of being of service to the community. And I think that's the ultimate sin to serve for two weeks when you could have served for two months or two years or two decades. Like, you know, if, if you took care of your business, um, you could have taken care of the community more. Mm-hmm. So that the poverty mindset is that, we have that success is through uh, sacrifice. That success is through compromising ourselves, and that's just total BS. What 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 we have to do is to be of service, but in a profitable way. Because a, it's the only way to be sustainable. If you want to care for your community, you have to be profitable. The second thing is your customers. Our customers want us 
to be profitable. Now, they'll never say those words. Like, none of them will come up to us and say, hey, Lindsay, uh, quick, could you rip me off a little bit? You know, hey, Evie, <laughs> could you raise the prices? I really want to pay more. Like, no one, <laughs> no one says that. But what, what people do say is, Lindsay, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to do this work for me, I want to make sure I got your full attention. Evie, I want to make sure you're not distracted by caring for another customer, that I'm your number one customer. That's what people want. And the only way for us to have a focus on our customers and care for them is not to be distracted by not having enough money. How many business owners do you know, like, they're just like panicked to make the next dime and, and they're trying to render service, which is definitely has to be inferior. You can't care for someone fully if your mind's not in it. So our customers want us to be profitable. And then the last thing, and I'll get off my soapbox, is this, is that there are, particularly now, less than scrupulous businesses, we'll say, entering the market because customers are, in this market in particular, under a lot of duress. They, they have to make rapid decisions. People are concerned about their income. Uh, if they're going to buy, they'll just take the, get the buy now and move on. We, we don't have time to waste to ponder and consider what happens is buyers buy and now they buy even faster. Not everyone's buying, but when they do buy, they buy faster with less consideration. Well, the unscrupulous providers get it. And so there's people that enter all these different markets and they have crappy products, but they, they don't give up on selling. They just sell it crazy. They're crap. Now you have a good product. Um, I believe I have a good product. I actually believe my product is my books and stuff are are better than the majority of alternatives. And I think every entrepreneur better feel this way about their stuff that they make. Otherwise, we can go back to the drawing board and make that better. Mm-hmm. But if we know our offering, our service or product is is better in some capacity than the competition, well, then we have a damned obligation to sell it because the yes. buyer's going to buy. And yeah, if we mm-hmm. shirk away from that, if we're like, no, I can't, I, I don't want to be pushy. Damn it, that buyer's got to buy. If you have a better product, you got to push me, not push the yes. customer, push the competition out of the way and, and let the product uh, represent itself so the customer can be cared for. Mm-hmm. So the poverty mindset is really a, a martyrdom. It's really about um, not caring for customers. So I think we have to flip that on its edge. And, and, and if you really care for customers, you'll be profitable. If you really care about your community, you will sell. That's necessary to be of service. And don't don't sacrifice yourself anymore. That that's the worst for everybody. I think two takeaways I took away from everything that you just said was one, like kind of the similar concept of you can't pour from an empty cup. Like you have to fill yourself up first, like mentally, emotionally, and then even with profit to make sure you're healthy to even be able to go out and serve effectively. And then the second one, I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> it was that good. You're like, like holy no, shit, my man. mind is blown. <laughs> Oh, it was so, it was right there. And then it just dropped. Isn't that the worst? Isn't that the worst? Mom brain. Is it the service? Whatever you do, do not edit this part out. This is is pure gold. (laughs) No, I got it. I got it. I got it. You need to have, I always say this to my students. You need to believe that what you sell is life-changing. Otherwise, why are you selling it? Like if you don't have that confidence behind it, which is what you, what you just said reminded me of. Okay. I'm in sister. I'm with you a hundred (laughs) percent. Okay, next question. If a listener is hearing this and hearing all your gold and all your wisdom and wants to start getting profit first practically implemented in their business now, what would be your top tips for making that first step towards this system? Get You get to the bank immediately. Um, and listen, nowadays you don't even have to do it, right? You can just do it over email. Everything's remote now. Um, but get an account set up. My suggestion, though, is just one account. I wouldn't do all five 
the reason is we risk overwhelm. It's like if you haven't exercised in a while, and you're like, I got to get back to the gym or running. Don't run a marathon. Don't don't throw mm-hmm. on tons of weight. Just yep. get to the gym and do something so that you start building that habit up again. Start slow and let yeah. it grow. So step one is just get a profit account set up. That's it. Nothing else. Step two is allocate 1% of any of your income to that profit account. And that's it. So now if $1,000 comes in, I'm saying take 10 bucks. Because if you can run your business off $1,000, you can run your business off of $990. The, the impact is insignificant. But what's very significant is now you have $10 in that profit account and you'll start building the profit muscle. And maybe over a few weeks or a few months, you change it to 2% and 3 and let it grow. But the key is to take action immediately, but small manageable action and let it start building on itself. That's what I would do. Mm, oh, that's so, good. so good. And I want to, I want to just give my like personal testimony to anyone listening to this. When I, I read Profit First twice at first because I nice. listened to it as an audio You're the one. I knew someone did. You're the one. <laughs> Um, I listen to so it. Good. <laughs> it's good. Like, it's get it. Yeah. It's on my list to like listen to at least. I have a handful of books that I try to read every year, just repeatedly. Um, and Profit First is one of those. Just the mindset of like making sure I'm still like approaching my finances with the right mindset. Oh, of, I love it. Of a Where are the other view. ones, if I may ask, Abby? Yeah. Um, the E Myth is nice. one of oh, my good. top ones. Deep Work is another one. Yeah. Um, and uh, atomic habits. So, oh, nice. I know James. Like, oh, no well, way. As you were, as I was, you were yeah, saying we just... the, as you were saying the, the putting the tennis shoes on the toilet thing, I was like, oh, that reminds me of atomic habits. <laughs> yeah. 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 So he, that, he is wicked smart. So, Ugh. uh, what I did, I'll give you a little hack. I, uh, I always wanted to meet James Clear and, um, some other authors I really, really admire. Ryan Holiday wrote the stoic and ego's the enemy. Uh, Don Miller wrote a book called story brand. So, um, yeah, none of these guys would accept it. me. None of them would accept me in, but I figured out if I coordinate an event for all of them, then I'm in the group. So <laughs> networking. That's how you yeah. So I hosted an event. Um actually I, Don Miller ended up hosting it in Nashville at his house. But right before COVID, I mean it was just breaking down. Myself, James Clear, Don Miller, Ryan Holiday, Chris Gallibo, who's awesome, John Gordon. We got together and it was just it was a two-day just put everything you got on the table. And what I learned from James Clear, he's, that guy is, first of all, wicked smart. Um, secondly, is he shared a real cool thing in book promotion. He said when he wrote Atomic Habits, the number one like bonus people wanted that promoted a book was the deleted content, the stuff that didn't made the, make the final cut of the book. Oh, so, wow. So, yeah. So when I launched my newest book, it just came out a month ago. Um, it's called Fix This Next. And when I launched it, I created a PDF called the lost content for it, which was about 40 sections that just didn't make the last cut. And sure enough, people are emailing me constantly. Hey, got your book. Can you send me the lost content? It's a great bonus. So just, yeah, shout out to what a wicked smart guy he is. Oh my gosh. I love it. I also love that you just thought so strategically of how to get in that circle. Like that's called smart networking. <laughs> yeah. And I have mad respect for that. Like, Thank you. Yeah. Everyone's like, like what are you doing here, Mike? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I just <laughs> You're like, I'm trying to figure that out myself. I don't know. Yet. I know. I know. I just coordinated this. This is it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Well, that's, I mean, that's so good. And that's literally some, we could talk about that forever. Networking, just yeah. getting your foot in the door and being like, I want to be in this circle of people. I feel like we would click. I feel like we're on the same page. I like, 
I want to be a part of this. So what can I do to make that happen? Yes. And, and listening candidly, I, I got to tell you more about this trip now. So I, I'm sitting there and we're talking about uh, advances. So my publisher's Penguin Books and the main publishing houses give you advances. And um, I, I told the group, hey, I'm, I'm going to go in, negotiate an advance for my next book. And uh, this is what I'm planning. And Ryan Holiday, um, do you know who he is by any chance? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So he speaks, he he says it as he sees it. And he's a man of a few words. And he goes, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> when, <laughs> and I'm like, so first, first my ego took a little punch. And then I'm like, um, tell me a little more why that's stupid. And he told me some stuff. Absolute true story. I texted him just uh, this past week. I got the advance to the level that he was suggesting, which was double what I was asking. And um, so I texted him like, thank you so much for your candor. Mm. I I think it's hard sometimes to digest criticism, but if it's not, if it's coming out of a way that is maybe supportive criticism or just observation where someone's not intending you harm, um, they're just calling the way it is. Sometimes it comes across brash and tough to digest, but man, I got to listen to that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, big, big lesson to listen to criticism. Oh, constructive, constructive criticism. If you're yeah. not receiving it, there is something wrong with the circle of people around you because yep. you can have the most supportive group of people around you. That's great. They can cheer you on all day long. But if they're not also challenging you and and yeah. giving you that feedback of that's wrong, try this, then you need to reevaluate your circle of people because there you need to grow with resistance with people challenging your thoughts your ideas your motives your your actions like you need that that that's effing stupid like coming yeah. at you to actually get double of what you were thinking like that's healthy community around it's unbelievable. you unbelievable yeah i mean sometimes uh, though it, it's it doesn't feel constructive it, it's a kick no in the it face. hurts <laughs> yeah. like geez like you have to hurt my feelings and he's like right well. I did. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Apparently, well, yeah. <laughs> I've said this before in the podcast, and I will say it again. My goal for this year is to be the youngest and the dumbest in every single room I step into. Oh, so yeah. smart. And that's I cool. think as an entrepreneur, that's one of the best things you can do is is recognize like when I step into a room and somebody says something and it hits me in the gut, or I'm like, oh man, I didn't think of that, or oh, I don't know the answer to that. It hurts in the moment, but that's what's going to make you grow, and that's what's yeah. going to push you forward. So, praise. You, know <laughs> you know something I found out too. Uh, I I love what you're saying. I also found um, there's a certain point where you can't be the youngest in the room anymore. I'm at that age. I'm 48, um, <laughs> so it it starts shifting. Like, but what was important is generational difference. Be- Differences because of the perspectives. So yep. you know, Ryan is like 15 years younger than me, and he gave the most valuable feedback, at least for that component, over everybody else. Everyone else gave great feedback, but his was particularly poignant. Mm-hmm. And I, I think before I was putting age with wisdom, and now I'm starting to realize, oh no, 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 wisdom's at all ages if you listen yeah. for it. You know, mm, that's so good. That's why we always try to get different like genders and different ages all yeah, so as on this podcast. Yeah. So that way we're not just in our own little bubble of like 20 <laughs> something women, like, which is well, primarily I, our audience, but gender to cross the gender barrier is very important for mentoring. I, some of my closest mentors are female and I'll tell you how important it was because this is just how clueless, uh, if you, you can be if you're just in a singular gender space. So I'm launching my first book. This is like 12 years ago called toilet paper entrepreneur. And, on the website, I'm holding um, the book and 
I have it open. You can see my wedding ring. And the web designer guy, he's like, hey, if you want to get more subscriptions from female readers, we should <laughs> we should get rid of the ring. I'll Photoshop that's it out. That's funny. Right? Oh, my like, gosh. That's oh, funny. that's – I'm like, oh, that's so smart. Like, that's a great idea. And, and I talked to my mentor, and she's like, are you effing kidding me? She goes, the ring <laughs> – the ring is a trust symbol. You're less pervy if yep. you wear that. So, yeah. so you take it off, you're a pervert. So wear yep. the freaking ring. And sure enough, then we did a split test. And sure enough, wearing the ring, signups were notably higher from female yep. readers and no difference with male readers. So ring is the thing. Keep it on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, that's so cool. There's like little tiny, like psychological marketing things that you have to think about and pay attention to. Yeah. Like that's what matters. Yeah. You know, we judge, we judge books by a cover. That's why a cover of a book matters. Literally. Yeah, literally. And the, in the website, you know, we better have something that within milliseconds, someone says, this is safe. I trust it. I want to proceed as opposed to this is unsafe. I get the hell out of here. That's Mm -hmm. a real problem. So good. (laughs) Okay, Mike. Well, the last question that we kind of want to wrap up with is a two-parter. I know you just said that you launched a new book or you have a new book coming out. I can't remember if it's out or not yet. It is. It is. Okay, perfect. Well, then what is it called? And with that, where can everyone find you? Where can everyone sign up for it, buy it? Not Thank you. But just buy it. Just buy it. Yeah. So it's called called Fix This Next. And uh, I'll just give you the quick inception story. When I wrote this book, I emailed my readership saying, what do you need next? And uh, I'm not the most technically savvy guy. I, I triple clicked or something. And I sent out the same email multiple times in this in the same day. And, and in, in there, it said, what's the biggest challenge in the year ahead? And the same person, uh, in many cases, it was the same person, answered the same question multiple times in the same day and said that they had a different biggest challenge for the year during that day. So in the morning, it was like, we have a sales problem. In the afternoon, it was like, we need to hire better. In the night, it was like, we need systems. that's when I concluded the biggest challenge entrepreneurs have is knowing what their biggest challenge is. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I wrote Fix This Next to pinpoint what to work on. Instead of, you know, putting out more freaking fires all day, this will pinpoint the one thing you need to work on, fix it, and then find the next one thing. So that's what the book's about. To get it, um, you can go to fixthisnext.com. There's actually even, on that site, there's a free evaluation. So you can evaluate your business without even buying the book. And there's, it's no download, no sign up. You just get it. And uh, it takes about five minutes. And once you're done, it'll pinpoint where you have an issue in your business right now, the most important issue to fix. So again, that's fixthisnext.com. All right. Well, now I know what I'm going to uh, put on my (laughs) reading list next. (laughs) Cool. It's it's going straight on the top. I'm so excited. I love it. I I say I think it's my best work. I'm really proud of this book. I think it's the most important work I've done. So thank you. That's amazing. I'm so ready to read it. I didn't realize it was out, so it's definitely on my reading list now. I was typing it up while you were even like telling what it's about. I'm like, perfect. (laughs) So uh, to everyone that's listening to this, go get profit first. Go get fix this next. Go get pretty. Pretty much like all of Mike's books because they're all amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, you. seriously, they are. And Mike, thank you so much for being here today, for giving so much of your expertise and your knowledge. This is seriously such an honor to have you on the podcast. And I'm so excited to see how people freak out over what you dropped today. This is I such so. a, such a good topic that needs to be talked about more, especially our audience is a lot of creative entrepreneurs. And mm-hmm. I think money is really a tough topic for creatives. So I'm so excited to see how people receive this and what they learn from this and what they take away. 
Evie, yeah. thank you, Lindsay. It means the world to me for you guys to say that. And yes, creatives, they're responsible to make money. And I know mm-hmm. it can be scary and daunting, but uh, they got it. They'll figure yes. it out. This, this will serve them. I'm sure. Yes. Yes, and they need to go read your books because that'll just (laughs) take them to the next level. This is just a taste. This is like the appetizer, the teaser. (laughs) Love it. All right. right. Thank you so much, Mike. You're the best. Thank you. Take care.